In your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, we are continuing our journey through the, the gospel as Luke has recorded it for us. Luke chapter 2, our verses this morning are verses 41 through 52. So this morning we're, we're ending the, the narrative, the story of the early years of Jesus' life, which, as I've mentioned before, aren't really recorded that much um, in our section that we have this morning is in no other place um, in Scripture, really. So what we have here for sure in our account, verses 41 through 52 this morning, are very unique um, in God's Word because we get a glimpse of Jesus as a boy. And sometimes when you think about it, you, you may think to yourself, you may have the question come up in your mind, why do we not have more of the things that Jesus did as a kid? Why do we not have more information about exactly how he grew up or what his circumstances were particularly and the things that happened? Did he do any miracles when he was a kid? You know, what things were going on in Nazareth or um, that type of stuff. And so what we do have recorded for us about Jesus's life as a boy really is all here in this text this morning. And so instead of thinking about all of those things that we don't have answers to, hopefully this morning we can um, focus in on the things that we are given and the simplicity of it and, um, and how it's presented to us. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, I'll read through verse 52. says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus knew his place. Jesus knew where he was supposed to be. Jesus knew where he belonged. But one of the things I want us to understand this morning and see throughout even this text is that Jesus freely submitted himself to imperfect people so that imperfect people would freely submit to him. Jesus freely submitted himself to imperfect people so that imperfect people would freely submit to him. At this point, we have in Jesus' life, people weren't submitting to him. He was just a boy. Um, and, And it's sort of interesting how when you look at all that has been told to Mary and to Joseph by the angel and just the events that surrounded Jesus' birth, 
his conception and birth, is how amazing all of these truths came into and were told to Mary and how this proclamation was made about this boy. And the shepherds came and saw and then they take him to the temple and all these prophecies are made about him. And you would think that his parents would have all the understanding in the world about who this baby was going to be, about who this child was that they were raising. But at the end of it, I think they still didn't fully understand. And even though he had parents who weren't perfect and parents that didn't fully understand the truths that had been revealed to them, even supernaturally by angels and by prophecies, Jesus still submitted himself to these people. Jesus knew his place. And one of the questions, sort of the, the balance that I want to strike today is between Jesus knowing his place and whether or not we understand and know our place. Where do we belong? Jesus, we'll see here in this text, knew where he belonged. Do we know where we belong? Do we know our place? So one of the first things I want us to see is Jesus clearly understood who he was. And that's one of the things that um, I'm going to break this down into kind of four different people groups, if you will. And many of us will, will identify with two or three of these groups. But Jesus knew who he was. Um, skip down there. Um, and specifically, verse 49. Jesus knew who he was. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? What an interesting comparison when, when you think about what has just been said by his mother. And his mother says there in the second half of verse 48, Son, why have you treated us so? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Notice how Jesus sort of turns that a bit. And he doesn't say, Joseph isn't really my father. And he doesn't become this disgruntled you know, little boy who says, Nah, you don't really know what you're talking about. No, I mean, he just answers and says, I know who I am. And, and, and he doesn't do that in, in a way that says, you know, your, your lack of understanding is ridiculous. He doesn't say, I can't believe you don't get it by now. He doesn't chide his mother. He simply states the facts of the matter as he, even as a 12-year-old boy, understands it. He knows that God is his father, that he himself is the son of God. Even as a boy, he knew that. There are a lot of people in this world and throughout history, throughout the last 2,000 years, that have tried to say that Jesus didn't really become this Messiah figure. He didn't really become the savior person. He didn't really become this great teacher um, and really nice guy until, an, until he was an adult. Or, or maybe some people would say, no one really saw him as that until after the fact. All of the disciples, after Jesus died and was allegedly resurrected, as they would say, Jesus never really saw himself as that important. Jesus never really saw himself as being the Son of God. This is just something that all of the disciples afterwards are imposing upon Jesus. But I think that's what's so interesting about this text. And if there's one, if, really, if there's one thing that you get from this text that we should understand 
from this little passage as Luke presents it to us. It's that Jesus himself knew who he was. Jesus himself knew that he was the Son of God even as a boy. And this is important because this informs the rest of the story. I mean, we're only in Luke chapter 2, and we still have 22 more chapters in Luke to walk through the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus, even as a boy, knew who he was. And you see here that other people had an opportunity to understand who he was. So the first group we're kind of talking about is Jesus knew who he was, but everybody has an opportunity and really, as we would say, an obligation to identify Jesus properly as who he really is, the Son of God. Jesus knew as a child that he was the Son of God, but it is our task as people, as humans, everybody, to understand who Jesus is. And that's one thing that he was sort of allowing for in his communications with the teachers of that time. Look in verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers. And notice here the teachers, he's just saying, Luke at this point has no um, designation for these guys are negative or these guys are positive. Simply, these are, these are the leaders that are around the temple that are teaching people. And so at this point, this is not these teachers are bad and they're going to hate Jesus later. That has nothing to do with our text right now. He just simply calls them teachers. He says, Jesus is sitting among the teachers, the people who are supposed to know what they're talking about, the people who are supposed to be the most knowledgeable people about God and God's word and Judaism and the things of this world. Jesus is sitting among those people. And he's in the temple, listening to them, there, second half of verse 46, listening to them and asking them questions. It's a, a usual thing, especially for this time period, and even still so now in some, um, in some places and in some educational models, where it's that sort of uh, Socratic method where it's you ask a qu- or the teacher asks a question and then the students respond in questions or the students ask questions and the teacher responds with more questions. You don't really give answers necessarily. You just kind of keep going back and forth and through your questions you use that to sort of dwindle down and to understand or what not to understand as being true and what to understand as being true. And so that's sort of, you know, one of the ways in which we see this dialogue kind of happening between Jesus and the teachers. This is one of the ways in which they learned. But it wasn't just questions that were asked. There were also answers that were given, as it says in verse 47. And all who heard him, all who heard Jesus as a 12-year-old boy with these older teachers, these adults, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So one of the questions, you know, we might kind of ask ourselves as well, were they amazed at his understanding and his answers just because he was a 12-year-old boy and he knew more than what a 12-year-old boy should know? Maybe. I think overall, even as a 12-year-old boy, we see that Jesus, and we talked about this last week, we see that Jesus has had modeled for him how to be obedient to God and His Word through the example of His parents. 
And so Jesus was given every opportunity by the faithfulness of his parents to know what he should have known up to that point as a boy. But I think there, it goes a little bit further than he's smart as a 12-year-old boy. He's knowledgeable as a 12-year-old boy. I think it goes further than that and says he knows that he, he is the Son of God. He knows that. And he is able to understand things at a level deeper than we really can. He's able to, to know things in a way and in a deeper way than comes easy or natural or even after years of learning for many of us. Jesus is unique. And that's some of what is seen here. And even these teachers, 20 years or so before his public ministry begins, these leaders of Israel are given an opportunity at a glimpse of who Jesus is. And so the question is for this group of everybody, for all people, men, women, young and old, do we understand who Jesus is? Jesus knew who he was. Do we understand? And our understanding boils down to this, the gospel message, as it was presented in what we read earlier in Acts chapter 17. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all things, the one that we know is God, he has shown himself to be perfect and good, but we have failed him. We have gone our own way. We have sinned. We have done things that we should not have done. We have seen that He is the Creator and that He deserves our obedience, yet we have fallen away from that. We have chosen otherwise. And what God did in spite of our sin, because of our sin, He sent Jesus to be born miraculously, as we've looked at these last few weeks, and He was going to live a perfect life in submission to the law, as we see even in our text. And he was going to be the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that we couldn't make, do the things that we couldn't do, understand the things that we could not understand, and give himself as a sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we might have an opportunity to be made right with God through him. And to show that he had the power to do that, to reconcile us, to make us right with God, he was raised from the dead. And he has power over sin and death. And he has the power, when we understand who he is and what he has done, and couple that with the fact of knowing who we are and what we have done, which is negative, and the positive things of who He is and what He's done, that He has taken our place and that we now have been given, accredited to our account, His righteousness, we can be right with God. This is what we are called to understand. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what we believe and what makes us come into a right relationship with Him. But just understanding that, just having a knowledge of that is not all that is expected of us when we become Christians, which is our second group, Christians. 
Everybody is called to, to understand who Jesus is, even as Jesus himself as a boy knew who he was. But as Christians, we understand that and acknowledge it, and we grow in that knowledge and understanding. And this is where wisdom comes in to the picture. Verse 51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Even Jesus himself is described as growing in his understanding, as growing in his wisdom, as growing in years. I mean, literally, he was a baby. He was an embryo that was then, you know, birthed as a young infant child. And then he grew to where we have a picture of him as actually having existed as a young boy. He didn't just poof, magically appear as a 30-year-old guy. He really was born. He really did grow up as a normal boy would physically. He grew, increased in wisdom and in stature, so he increased in years. He increased in his physical growth. And he increased in his understanding. So not just physically, but he increased as you would expect the Son of God to, as you would expect a spiritual leader to, continue to grow and mature himself. So Jesus himself grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. And we ourselves are called to grow in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. One of the examples that we have in Scripture, and one of the just, I I would say uncanny, but that's not a proper word because we are supposed to think providentially when, as Christians, we know that God is in control of all things. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we have a picture that I've alluded to before um, whenever we talked about Mary's song that we have in Luke chapter 1. I referenced Hannah's prayer, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah was the mother of Samuel, and Samuel was conceived in a miraculous sort of way. And what Hannah did is she said, I'm going to give this child over to God. If God gives me a son, I'm going to give him back to God. And he is going to spend his days in the temple serving God. And so you can already see just in what I've said, a little bit of an allusion to you have a picture of the boy Jesus in the temple. But one of the things that's said about Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is a similar phrase as what I've just mentioned and what we find at the end of our passage. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in verse 21, it says, Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 26, it says, Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So you have what we're given in the Old Testament A thousand years before Jesus, this prophet, this leader Samuel, who is conceived in quite a miraculous way, who's given to this woman who was barren before, and he is given as a gift, and Hannah gives him back to God. And what do we see as he grows in his service in the temple? He grows in wisdom and in favor, not just with God, but also with man, so that it wasn't just 
He was the spiritual guy who no one understood, who no one was able to relate to, who no one got. He was a boy, he was a young man who was able to honor God with his life, but also relate to other people and to show them, the people around him, that he cared for God and that the life that he lived was important and that it was meaningful and that this is how God has designed someone to grow in such, this, in such a way as this. But Samuel wasn't perfect. And we have now Jesus being the better Samuel, being the one who was perfect in every way, but who still himself is described in these ways as growing, as increasing in wisdom and in favor with God and man. So just as Samuel was described as this, I think we too as Christians, hopefully our desire is to grow in wisdom and favor with God. We want to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that He has given His life on the cross so that we might be reconciled to God, so that we might be made right with God, so that we could be in a right relationship with God. We know that, but we want to grow in our understanding of how that impacts all of our life. The gospel is not just a message so that you can be saved and then, okay, do whatever you want the rest of your life. No, we're supposed to grow in this, and that's what wisdom is. It's, it's having knowledge, but knowing how to apply it then to your life. It, it, it's understanding something to the point where it affects how you act, the things that you say and the things that you decide to do with your life. That's what it means to grow in wisdom and in favor with God. God delights to bless His people who honor Him. He does. I mean, I'm, you've heard enough sermons from me to know that I am no prosperity preacher, that I am one who is not all about, let's all do the right things and God's going to give us whatever we want. But there is, throughout God's Word, Old Testament and New Testament, the promise that God will give us more of Himself when we desire to see more of Him. And that's what it means to grow in favor with God, is when we have a desire to know God more and to know His Word more and to have a deeper relationship with Him and to honor Him with our lives fully, He is ready to bless that. And it doesn't mean He's going to give us a bunch of money. It doesn't mean He's going to give us a better job. It doesn't mean He's going to solve all of our problems. It doesn't mean we're going to be as healthy as an ox, as they say. What it means is we are going to be more and more satisfied with Him than being satisfied with the things that this world has to offer because we know that He is the one who is able to actually satisfy our deepest needs and even our surface-level needs. He is the one and the only one who is truly able to satisfy. And He is ready and willing to bless us with more of Himself when we have that desire to grow in wisdom and in favor with Him. But it's not just with Him, it's also with man. I mean, you see here how, put it this way, in 
in what ways are you blessed more as a parent, which kind of is starting to get into our, our third topic, as a parent, are you not blessed immensely when your kids come to you and say, hey, how can I help? I mean, other, like, if that ever has happened for any of y'all, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I mean, like, it's, it's cute as, you know, whenever they're really young and they want to help and they can't help at all, you know, um, when it's like, hey, let me help you put the dishes away. Well, like, you can't even reach, you know, the counter, much less any of the cabinets. So I like, you know, and all this stuff is like, you know, breakable China that you're trying to touch. So I don't really think that you're actually going to be a help. But just the fact that you want to help, you know, like, helps me to perk up in my spirit, my attitude, right? You know, like, yes, I want it. That's so awesome. And so you get, you're inclined to be like, man, I'll give you whatever you want right now because you're willing to help. Yes, you're willing to do that. Let's go out for ice cream. You know, you're willing to do that. Yeah, sure, you can have this candy, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Right? I mean, how much more inclined are, are we as parents to respond in that way? I think that's some of how God responds. But I think also when it comes to humans, we're inclined to interact with each other in that way. When I am willing to submit myself to you or when I'm willing to serve you in some way, how much more inclined are you to be to say, wow, that was really nice. How can I bless him? How, how, how can I think more highly of him than maybe I used to? Because I used to think he was just a selfish guy who did everything for himself. But now that I see that he's serving and that he wants to care about me and not just himself, my thought of him has increased. My thought of that person who has helped me when I was in need of help that I couldn't fix this thing on my own wow, how much of a blessing has that been? And, and that's what it means to sort of build up that rapport, that favor with the people around you. And so Jesus, he submitted himself even to his parents, to imperfect people. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was able to grow in favor, not just with God, because it is blessing God. When, when, when we submit ourselves to the authority that God has put over us. It honors God, but it should also give us some favor with the people who are around us. As parents, which is our third group, we've had everybody who is called to understand who Jesus is. We have Christians who are called to grow in that understanding, to grow in that wisdom. We have parents who are called to steward their children well. This was a lot of our our passage in our sermon last week, But we continue to see glimpses of it. Look at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So clearly, they went every year. They did the things that they were supposed to do. The Jewish people, men particularly especially, but then if they could with their families as well, were supposed to take this journey to Jerusalem every year. There were three feasts that they were supposed to hit up, but this one would have been the most important and the one that we even see Jesus later on in his ministry. Chapters and chapters of the Gospel of Luke are spent around this feast and around Jesus' time in the temple. And so some of what we get is an allusion 
to what's going to be the setting, the who, the what, the where, the why of Jesus' later ministry. We're given a glimpse of Jesus' familiarity with these things now because his parents were faithful parents who stewarded this child that was given to them. I mean, literally, this child was given to them. This was not their child. And so they were called to be good stewards of this gift that was given to them. Just as we as parents, even though these kids might be biologically ours, or maybe they're not even biologically ours, we are called to be stewards of them. They are not ours. We do not own them. We are responsible for them, but we do not own them. And so we are called to steward them well. As they grow in stature, we are called to grow help them to grow in their wisdom and in their understanding of who Jesus is and how that impacts all of their life as it has and continues to impact all of our lives. We're called to steward well the responsibility that we have. And I think you see some of that concern in Mary's voice, you know, as you read her response, as you read their concern, you know, they go a day's journey. And this would have been normal custom, you know, for them to travel in a big group and they weren't together every waking moment of their lives. You know, this goes to show some of that Jesus was a normal kid. He hung out with other kids. He hung out with other adults. He hung out with other family members. He wasn't just secluded to Mary and Joseph and no one else knew who he was. No, like the reason why they didn't realize he was not a part of their group is because he was, they thought he was doing his normal thing of hanging out with relatives and friends from the neighborhood who would all travel down together to Jerusalem for this feast. And so when it finally came time, probably that, e- that evening after they had traveled for a day, going back to Nazareth, they realized, oh, it's time for us to get together as a family, and uh, Jesus is missing. This is not good. Uh, you know, wh- where is he at? And he wasn't anywhere, so they went a day's journey away, and then they had to take a day obviously, because if it takes you a day to go that far, then you have to take a day to come back. And then it took them another day to find Jesus eventually in the temple. So they spent an entire day, at least, looking around for him in Jerusalem. And there would have been still probably a ton of people in the area. So it would have been difficult. And you, you hear some of that concern in Mary's voice. Verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. They're like, wow. So he's just sitting here and... and he, and I'm sure they, when they found him, it wasn't a, as soon as they saw him, they ran and interrupted whatever was happening. I think there was probably a little bit more structure in place where if he was at the temple and teachers were teaching and students were listening and asking questions back and there was this dialogue happening, I doubt that they would have interrupted that happening. So probably for a few minutes or maybe an hour or two, when they finally saw from a distance where he was or heard, oh yeah, that little boy that 12-year-old, yeah, he's, he's over there. They probably went to the place and had to observe for a minute. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why they were astonished. They, they heard some of his answers. They, they heard some of his questions. They heard how he was interacting in a way that sort of was like, wow, that's amazing. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Look, we've been searching for you in great distress. They knew the responsibility that they had to steward this gift 
of God's Son that was put under their care. We're called to do that. We're called to teach them well. We're called to raise them up well as parents. I think that's part of what it means to grow in wisdom and in favor with God and with man is, is learning how to do that as parents. It leads us sort of to the other end of that third one. So everybody's supposed to understand who Jesus is. Jesus himself knew who he was even as a boy. Christians are called to grow in that understanding, to grow in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Parents are called to steward their children well. And children, as our last one, are called to obey parents, to submit to them, to honor them. That's the example that we have from Jesus himself. Verse 51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She just wanted that. Again, we have that phrase, that pondering, that, that measuring these things, that treasuring what in the world has happened and what in the world is going to happen. If this is who this boy is now, what's he going to be later? What is this really going to look like? But as children, you're called to obey. And, and, and it would be the one person who has lived, who would have had an excuse to not have to obey anybody else, it would have been Jesus. He would have been able to say, I know the right thing to do. I I know what I'm capable of. I know how this world works. I don't need other people to have authority over me. The one person who had a legitimate excuse to say those things, instead submitted himself to that authority. He submitted himself to people who weren't perfect. And so even he as a child gives a great example for you who are still children to obey your parents, to submit to them, to honor them. Even though we are not perfect, even though we might leave you somewhere Hopefully not for three days, um, maybe just for an hour or, you know, a few minutes, <laughs> if, 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 it, if it gets to that. But you're called to honor your parents, to obey them, to submit to them. Ephesians chapter 6 is a great reference for such things, for both children and for parents. Ephesians chapter 6, the beginning of that chapter. And so again, I want to just reiterate that we have a clear picture of Jesus, a a clear picture that Jesus himself understood as a boy and that he was willing to submit himself to people who were not perfect so that we might then be given an opportunity to submit ourselves to him who was perfect because that's the only way that we can be given an opportunity to be made right with God is to submit ourselves back to him. And so everybody is called to submit their lives to Christ. Some of the songs that we've sung today so far is I'm leaning on His arms. I'm I'm submitting myself to Him. I owe everything to Him. 
And so is that the perspective that you have, whether you're a child or an adult, this morning? And for the rest of your life, are you going to submit to the man who freely submitted himself to leaving heaven and to living this life on this earth and to dying the death that we deserved? Are you willing to submit yourself to that man, the Son of God? And to grow in that. There's nothing that will bring you more satisfaction than submitting yourself to Him. So I invite you to do that, whether it's for the first time or just for this week, for this year, maybe just for today. And we'll take tomorrow as tomorrow comes. Would you do that? Would you submit to Him? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that we've been given by Christ himself. We thank you that we can know that these things are true, that these things have happened, that historically these are real events that happened in a real place, that Jesus really did grow up, that he really was a child, that he really was a young boy that he really did grow up to become the man who would live that perfect life and die the death on that cross that we deserved to pay the penalty for our sin, to conquer sin and death by his resurrection. God, we thank you for being able to know that, to recognize it. Would your spirit open up our hearts in our minds to continue to submit to that truth and that in all things, for all of our lives and every aspect of our lives, that we would submit ourselves to the truth of that and to who you have called us to be as Christians, as your children. So would you give us the strength to do that? Would you give us wisdom to know how to do that properly? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.